Good morning. Welcome to Vertical Church here in Ovilla, Texas. We're glad you've joined us this morning as we continue in our series, I Know a Ghost. This morning's message is, I Know a Ghost and He's Bigger Than I Am. We're glad you've joined us and we'll catch you afterwards. People like to talk about who they know. Some say they know a celebrity. Some say they know a professional athlete. I guess they think that who they know makes them someone. I don't really know any celebrities. I don't really know anyone that's wealthy. My story's a little different. But it is the truth. Who you know does make you someone. You see, I know a ghost. Yeah, amen. And that ghost is in this house this morning, amen? Amen, amen. So you probably know my background is in art. Actually, my degree in college is an art degree. That's where I started. And I started off pursuing architecture. God redirected my path. I ended up in ministry, obviously. But art has always been an interest of mine. Even when I was very young, second grade, my parents enrolled me at Marie Kern's Art Gallery in Oak Cliff. To be specific, Westmoreland Falls Drive Shopping Center for my Oak Cliffians out there. Yeah. So second grade, I'm there on Saturday mornings and I'm learning how to draw. It isn't too long afterwards that she suggests I switch over to oil painting. And I did. And every week my parents took me to Marie Kern's art gallery and I painted and I soon filled our house with paintings. My mom just hung them up everywhere. The living room had multiple paintings. Soon the bedrooms did. Soon my aunts and cousins and my sister and Joplin had them. They were just scattered everywhere. My mom was like, I don't want to do with all these things. No, she loved them. She was very grateful and I always appreciated hers and my dad's encouragement. Marie Kern's art gallery moved a couple different locations uh, in Oak Cliff off of Illinois and a couple different places, but I continued to go. Eventually got to where it was Monday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Yes, I had to miss the Monday night football, but I was painting. That's what my love was. And so uh, Marie Kern's art gallery, she had the desk arranged around the walls so that she could walk around the gallery while we were there painting and she could see what we were doing and she would make suggestions and she would encourage us along the way. She would even sometimes sit down, pick up the brush, this is my favorite part, and she would start painting on my painting. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so she was, she was great at what she did. And so I learned to paint because she taught me how to paint. She showed me, she encouraged me, and I was inspired by her. That went on for 10 years I was making those trips. My parents spent a lot of money for art lessons, but I loved it. And then came the day my parents said, we're moving to Red Oak. And it was going to mean the end of going to Marie Kern's art gallery and painting. But 10 years in, Mrs. Kearns told me, you have all you need. You should be fine. 10 years, you can do this. So we moved 
everything's packed up. And then after being here for a little while in Red Oak, my mom says, I'd love for you to paint a painting for me. Okay, I've done that before. I should be able to do this. So I get out what I had never done before. I get an easel out at home. I want you to catch the gravity of this. Ten years, I had always painted in her presence only. I had never painted away from her presence. I had never painted without her standing over my shoulder. I had not ever painted without her being right there to encourage me, correct, and direct me. And so all of a sudden, what should have been as natural and comfortable as anything else that you had done for 10 years, I sat down and it was very awkward. I started painting and I had this sense in which I don't know what I'm doing. What is going on here? I felt uncertain. I felt insecure. I actually kind of felt lost at painting. And so though my mom wanted a painting, I didn't like going into that room where that easel was. In fact, I didn't. And I stopped painting. It was a sad day. It was an inward struggle for me. Something had changed. Something was different. I didn't have the person who had taught me with, their, with me there. And everything was different in that moment. I stayed away from it for a pretty good while. <clears throat> then my mom, again, came with a different message to me. She said, I'd like for you to teach me how to draw. Mm, okay. I was studying architecture at the time. I was in college. My mom's in her 60s. She's retired, and she's looking for new hobbies. And so she says, I want you to teach me to draw. I've never done that before. I just drew. I didn't teach anyone to draw. So we sat down for some beginner lessons. And I taught. She listened. She drew. And we would meet together for that purpose once a week lived in the same house, but we would gather at the dining table for that specific purpose. And all of a sudden, something interesting happened. What I had known all along began to kick in because it was no longer just about me. It was about me giving myself away from my mom. And what I knew all of a sudden returned as a joy. I began to have a love for being artistic again. I never really picked up oil paints again. It began to transfer over into uh, architecture and then into pencil drawings and then into graphic design. And I still get to do some of that even today. But it was a fascinating little piece and time in my life where I thought because I didn't have the person with me I couldn't do it. Sometimes when we approach the Christian life, we say things like this. Man, if only I could have been alive in Jesus' day. If only I could have been there and saw what the disciples saw. Could have heard Jesus' words. Could have been there with him. Could have seen the miracles. 
could have been a part of following him day by day, could have heard him reacting and responding to the, to the Pharisees. If only I could have been there for all of that. If I could have seen the cross, if I could have been there at the resurrection, if I could have if it's just been a part of that experience, I would be doing so much better in my faith, we think. If I could just have the mentor, the teacher with me. And because sometimes we conclude, well, you know, they had it good, and then Jesus left, and here we are today trying to work it all out, just trying to work for Jesus, just trying to do the best we can, as though we're in some lesser stage right now, some lesser era, because we didn't get to live in the day and time of Jesus. I'm saying this to myself, as I'm saying it to all of us today, we couldn't be more wrong. Here's the truth. You and I live in an era today in which we have something that the disciples themselves did not have. We, because of Acts chapter 2 and the Pentecost, have had the Holy Spirit poured out upon this time in the hearts of those who believe we have the very essence and ghost of God within us if you put your faith in Jesus and the disciples never had that. We have the ability and power to do more than they ever did, even today. Hmm, now, I realize that's going to take a little bit of shift in thinking, and we're going to do that over the next few minutes, if that's all right with you, because that's a good shift in thinking to have. Nobody likes feeling like you've been left alone to the task. Nobody likes feeling like you've been left out. Nobody likes feeling like you're all alone in the process. And let me assure you, you have not been left alone. You have been given the ghost of God the Holy Spirit essence of God, and he is at work in you. Now, we're going to look at one verse today. I'm going to set it up with a verse, and then we have something very exciting to me that we're going to be a part of here in our service. A setup verse first, John 16, 7. I want you to hear the words of Jesus about his departure. Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, as if Jesus had to set them up that he was going to tell them the truth, but he did. He said this, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is better, Jesus said, that I leave. It's better that I depart from this earth. It's to your advantage. And Jesus clarified, he went on, he said, for if I I do not go away. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the ghost will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Mm. And he did. Jesus departed not to leave us in a lesser place, but to bring us to a greater place. To fill us with something we had not had to fill us with something the disciples themselves did not have. Jesus did not leave us alone. Jesus did not leave us in a lesser situation. He returned so that we could have something that had never been had before. Now, our verse for today, John 14. Here we are on screen. Jesus also said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, 
he will do also. And watch it, greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Mm, Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of digesting this morning to take all this in. Do you catch the drift of what's being said here? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, because I go to the Father and I send the ghost to you, you are going to do the same works that I did. And in fact, you are going to do greater works than I did. Yeah. It's that challenging to take in. It is. Because at this point, you have to say either... Those scriptures are weird. Those scriptures, somebody must have been on something when they wrote that. And I would say they were. They were on the ghost. That's what scripture tells us. They were filled with the ghost. That's what inspired them to write. You and I are destined to do the works that Jesus did and not to lessen him by any means, but you and I are called to even greater works than he did. You can't misinterpret it. It's not that someone misunderstood the Greek. It's not that somebody wrongly wrote it down. This is the truth. And when we understand what Jesus is saying here, it'll bring some life to us. So let me, let me help us as we walk through this here. What's important here are words. They always are when it comes to Scripture. Jesus is very careful to say greater works and the works that I do, the works, the actions, the work that I do. You will do those. That's us. And we will do greater things than those than, that he did. That's us. Now, I know what's going through your mind right now. Not because I'm a mind reader, but because I'm a person and I know how we all think. Here's what's going through your mind. Wait a minute. You're saying I can walk on water and more? You're saying I can walk into a hospital, pronounce someone healed, and they will be? You're saying I can, I can go to lunch today and just order one Whataburger meal and then ask God to bless it and feed everybody in the place? Is that what you're saying? I mean, really, I mean, is it, that's, what we're, that's what we're all thinking all of a sudden, because we, we automatically start thinking about those things. We think about those as kind of like the pinnacle of all that Jesus did, right? We think, wow, you know, Jesus, the things he did, miracles. I mean, whoo, that's just, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate of being the God-man. He did miracles. Let me assure you, miracles in Scripture, Jesus himself referred to as signs, not works. There's a difference. Signs point to something. Signs point to something greater. Signs are not the thing. Just because you rolled down the highway and you saw a sign doesn't mean you arrived. You aren't there yet just because you saw a sign. I went to visit a friend, Heather and I did some years ago in Atlanta, and we got close to Atlanta. And it said, you are now entering the Atlanta city limits. We called our friend and said, we're here. And she said, where are you? And we described the exit. And she said, I'll see you in two hours. (laughs) Atlanta's big. Atlanta's traffic is, mm. 
and it was two more hours before we saw her. Crazy. Just because you see the sign doesn't mean you have arrived. The sign points to something greater. The sign points to the reality. Jesus did some miracles. They were signs. They pointed to the greater. They pointed to the reality. They were not the main point. They were the point to the main. It's important that you understand that. You see, Jesus performed a miracle by walking on water, right? It's not a fictitious story. It's not just that he knew where some stones were in the lake there so he could know, you know, to trick everybody. He wasn't using the latest magician's code to try to trick the guys. He literally walked on water. He defied the laws of physics. He can do that because they're not laws against him. He created them. He can do whatever he wants with them. He can bend them, twist them. He can make them do whatever he wanted, and he did. He walked on water. That was not the main thing. It was a sign so that the disciples and us would look at it and say, you know what? Jesus is sovereign over everything. Whatever it is, that thing that you think is going to drown you, swallow you up, that you're going to fall into and never recover from, wrong. Jesus walks on stuff like that. Now, this is a different story all of a sudden. Amen. You see, that was a sign. It wasn't the point. It was pointing, but it wasn't the point. It was not the pinnacle. The end is not walking on water. The end is that Jesus is over the water, and he's over every other thing in life. On another occasion, Jesus is on a hillside, and there were some hungry folks there. And the disciples came to him and said, we just have the number one combo from Whataburger. That's all we got. <laughs> he said, we have some bread and some fish. And Jesus said, let me have it. Jesus prayed, thanked the Father, and they started passing out bread. And there were bread, and more bread, and baskets of bread. And the disciples took that bread and fed it to everybody there that day. Depending upon which account you read, it says either 4,000 or 5,000, but that was just counting the men, not counting the women and the children that were there. There's a lot of people fed by a few loaves. That was not the point. That was not the end. It was a sign pointing to something greater. The greater is that Jesus himself is the bread of life. He is the one that feeds your soul. He is the one that fills all the cravings that you have within you for nourishment in your soul. All that you long for in hope and acceptance and peace and love and grace and mercy. All that you long for in your life being redeemed and restored and having purpose. He alone is the bread for that source. And he has a never-ending supply of himself to give those who will receive him. Yes. The miracle was just a sign pointing to the reality. Are you with me so far? The sign is not the point. The sign only points. On another occasion, Jesus gathered with two sisters who had lost their brother. He had died. 
Four days had passed. And then Jesus does what if we were, if we were assembling all the miracles and were to say, now this one, this one rises above all of them. Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and he comes out alive. He is no longer dead. And we think, wow, miracle. And that's like the top of the miracles, pinnacle of miracles. But Jesus himself would say about that and everything else he did, those were signs that pointed to a greater reality. Being physically resurrected is not the end. Being physically resurrected is awesome. If you're Lazarus, <laughs> maybe. I mean, he had to come back, you know, from being a, yeah. So, but here's the point. Here's the truth. Jesus can take a heart that is dead in guilt and shame and bitterness and anger and resentment and fear. Jesus can take that heart and resurrect it. That is the truth. That is the point. The miracles only pointed to the main thing. They were not the main thing. So when Jesus says, you shall do the works that I do, and even greater works than these you shall do, now we get a grip and a grasp on what that means. You weren't called to walk on water. You weren't called to multiply Whataburger baskets at lunch today. You weren't called to go down to the cemetery and call people up from the grave. But you have been equipped with the ghost of God and the word of God and the command of Jesus to go into a world and speak life and to see souls resurrected. Yes, that's what we've been called to. That is greater work. Look here. I'm not diminishing anything Jesus did. He's the one that did it in this verse. He said, you're going to do greater works by the sheer number. There was one of him. Uh-oh, there's a whole bunch of us, even just in this room this morning, alone. You put us with the rest of the church that exists, has existed, or will exist. And we will do greater works. Not because we're in competition with him, but because he is in us with the ghost doing those works. Amen? Amen. So we get a, get a lock on that. It changes some things. We preach the gospel. We preach good news to people who have been stuck in hopelessness and fear and rejection. They've been through pain in their life that no one can soothe for them and we bring them good news, and they find release and freedom and joy, that's a greater work. It is. When we see truth come into a person's life and they find freedom from what they have been held by, and they are set free, that's a greater work. That's hmm. why Jesus would say, Recorded for us in Acts 1.8. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was a greater call. And it was a call made to the church then as they were birthed. And it's a call made to us today. It's the same call given to us. We, though we might think we are limited, though we might think we have lesser resources, though we might think we don't have the talent, we have still been called to go into all the world and make disciples. This is the calling we have as the church. We are the church. We are the called of God. We have not been left alone. We have not been living in a lesser age. We are living in the greater age, as Jesus described it, where greater works are done. What this means is that you and I have to be the ones who step up into what we've been called to. If it's not happening, it's because we haven't owned it. If it's not happening, it's because we haven't believed it. Look what Jesus starts it with. He who believes, believes. It comes down to us. It comes down to what we are going to own, what we are going to believe, what we are going to accept by faith. I don't have to walk in insecurity anymore. I am not alone. I don't have to walk in fear of what's out there because I'm not alone. I don't have to walk with uncertainty about what my life is really all about because I'm not alone. Because there is a ghost who has been at the core of who God himself is, who has been given to me and now lives on the inside at the core of who I am. Amen? Now, all of these are the greater works. And the thing is, as a, the body of Christ, we are called to do what the physical body of Christ did when he was here. We're to do the exact same thing. We're to go about speaking truth. We're to go about communicating love and grace and mercy and truth. We're to go about proclaiming the life that the Father has given us. This is our call as the church. You've all been equipped. You may not understand your gifting yet. You may not understand the depth of what you've been called to yet. You may not comprehend fully how this all works out in your life yet, but this is what you and I have been called to. Every member in the body of Christ is important. Mm -hmm. Every member is called. Every member is gifted. You are not a lesser part because you think you are. God puts the members of the body in the church as he chooses not us. You didn't happen into it. You didn't evolve into it. You didn't just randomly find yourself in it. Oh, you've been placed here by the Father for a purpose. Gifted, equipped, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, within a body, within the church, there are those that God calls to leadership. There are those that God uniquely equips so that they might stand in the place representing Christ and become teachers and leaders to lead others to Christ and to help equip the saints. 
according to the book of Ephesians, a role like mine as a pastor is to not do all of the ministry. My role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what a pastor is called to do. That is part of what's happening right now. That's what we do every Sunday, is attempt to inspire and equip us as a whole for the work of ministry. In a body, it has always been the case since the early church that God has called some to that role, where they respond to him and they serve in a different way than they had prior to that calling where they lead and they give their time and they sacrifice for that purpose. It's not ever been a position that is meant to afford you great monetary wealth, great worldly success, or great acclaim. But it is a role in which you become a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as a shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. You become, as a shepherd, feeding the sheep. You assume the role you have been called to. In 1984, I was in college, had been for a while, studying architecture. All of a sudden, architecture, though it had always been my pursuit began to lose its interest to me. I began to be actually very frustrated with it. And I found myself up one night in particular. I have this project that I have to do. It's due the next morning. And I am tired. I don't have the interest. And I go and get my mom up out of bed so she can talk me through that night just to get finished with that project. And she did. I turned it in, and I had this resolve within me that I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. That's a scary thing when you're a couple years into college. You spent some money, and you kind of thought you knew where your life was headed. And all of a sudden, I had zero interest in pursuing that path. I went and talked to my pastor who would within the next six years become my father-in-law. And he asked me some questions and we talked through what I was experiencing and he said to me, it's very possible that God is calling you into the ministry. And he is beginning to burn away old desires and ignite some new desires. And he spoke truth to me that day. And I began to pursue that path. And the further I walked down it, the more I saw God's confirmation that this is what he had called me to. And he... And the church at the time stood and supported my calling in that moment. And it was such an encouragement to me. And it really set the course for my future. 
I'm excited because today here at Vertical, you're about to meet six men who are in that same spot, who God has begun a work in of redirecting their lives and directing them right into the path that he has for them. A calling in one sense that every believer has, but a calling that is a little bit different because the calling to leadership in ministry is different than just working in a church, serving somewhere, I'll say, volunteering. There's a different level of responsibility. And it's the pastor's responsibility to help these men know and experience what that calling sounds like and to step up into it. So what that looks like for a church, for us today is, I have met with these six men I've talked with them. I know them. I know their story. I know their past. I know what I sense as to be God's calling in their life. Heather and I had them in our home last night with their spouse or fiance, as ever might be the case, as you'll see today, and heard their stories again and was just beating with relevant confirmation, yes, God has called these men. And there was this excitement in me to see happening for them what happened to me, but also to think we're four and a half years into vertical and there are six men already who are sensing God's call upon their life to lead in ministry. Yeah, awesome. The vision for vertical is to become the center for training a life that is first and foremost vertical and to raise up a new generation of people who will live vertical in their homes, on their job, with their family, with their spouse, in their parenting, and in their community being a ghost-filled representative. Amen? Amen? So... Today, what we are going to get to see are the first fruits of that calling and that blessing in our church. So let me tell you how that, how that works here in a church. Um, in churches, not all churches, but many churches will function this way. The pastor will sit down, have an interview with the person, hear their story, and then he will recommend that to the church elders. I did that. And the elders confirmed Yes, those men have been called into ministry. And so what we're going to do today is give them a certificate that is an outward picture of confirmation that says, we agree from our perspective with what you hear from your perspective from God. We confirm, yes, you've been called to ministry. That's not something the state does. That's not something an educational institution does. That's something the church is called to do. Yes. That's what we are doing today. We are affirming and confirming these men's call into ministry. What happens over time is as a church watches these men's lives, they begin to see 
They're walking in obedience to what God called them to. They are serving. They are leading. They are representing Christ. And there begins to be fruit. And over time, as the church observes that, the church will come back for a second ceremony, if you will, called ordination or ordaining. And it is a final step of confirmation and approval. Not only do we believe God has called you, but we have seen the fruit and evidence of it in people's lives. If you're looking for a, a metaphor for it, you might equate it to um, the day you were 15 and you went and got your learner's permit to get to drive a car. And you began that process of learning. And then when you had learned to truly drive the car and have evidence and fruit of it, you got your full license, right? So what's happening today is these guys, in effect, are getting their learner's permit. Yes, we sense you have a desire to drive. You have a desire to lead. And we want to walk with you in that process. So a lot of buildup. But it's important for us as a church to understand what's happening here today. A new generation of leaders is being called. So I'm going to introduce them to you, tell you just a little bit about them. We're going to present these certificates. We're going to pray for them here in just a moment as a way of doing what the early church did when they sent out Paul and Barnabas. The leaders laid hands on them, prayed a blessing over them, and sent them out. So let me start today with some that you're probably going to know right away. Let me start today with Caleb Vandenberg. Caleb, come on up and stand on the stage here. Yeah. Caleb, going up on the stage over there, I want to talk for just a moment about Caleb. You get to see him every Sunday right here leading us in worship, leading us right to the heart of God. Caleb grew up in a, in a family that served Christ. Brad was involved in ministry, too. He got to see what that looked like. And Caleb, uh, as a teenager, was in my youth group. I got to have him and his brother leading worship in our living room with students. We got to watch him cut his teeth on a guitar, leading people. And so it was through that that God began to put a desire in him for the very thing that he does now. He, uh, for a while, if you heard his story, he would tell you, his brother and him, for a while, pursued just the music industry career. They're talented. They could do that. But Caleb said there was a calling deeper inside for something more, something that left all that out there unsatisfying. And God arranged through an unusual set of circumstances that he would be here and available and lead us in worship. So Caleb, I present to you today this certificate, the gospel ministry. You're hereby licensed by Vertical Church to step into all that you've been called to. We stand with you and support you. Amen. Yeah. Let me have Matt Gray come up as well. Yeah. yeah come out of order. So Matt, we get to see just about every Sunday as well. He's part of our church ministry here. And uh, Matt came to us, what's it been, almost two years ago now? A year and a half, yeah? We've been praying for a while for God to send a, a student director to us and went through this long journey that just seemed to turn up resume after resume, interview after interview with people that we thought, well, nope, not it. 
not it, not it, not it. He walks in, it. We knew this is the guy. And it was obvious. His story is fascinating. Grew up in a Christian home as well. Successful in high school, in sports, academics. Gets a full ride scholarship to a college. And in the midst of it, gets saved. And in the midst of that, begins to hang out with his youth pastor at the time in Odessa. And they see citywide revival break out in the high school. Youth group grows from, what was it, 30 to 200, 400? Whoa. All of a sudden, Matt gets lit. He's watching ministry happen, and his heart loses interest in everything else except this, to be in ministry. So we are humbled and grateful that God would allow him to be here and be a part of what God is doing. So Matt, we gratefully and humbly present to you this certificate of license. We call you, stand with you, amen, and affirm, amen, God's calling. Let me also introduce you to John Barton. John, come on up. There's John. There he is. He's coming. Um, I first met Jonathan at the Chick-fil-A in Waxahachie. That's a good place to meet people. He was, uh, he was working there. Uh, Brianna worked there for a time. And uh, Jonathan began to join us at what used to be our men's breakfast there. And uh, also grew up in a Christian home. Considered uh, being part of ministry. Uh, went to school at Sagu for a time. And then... Uh, after getting married and beginning to multiply in his home, uh, yeah. realized, you know, I need to, uh, I need to do something. So uh, he took up time away from the pursuit of ministry, uh, became successful in his work, and is today. But John has always had within him a passion for ministry and has wondered, what was that that God began what was that that started, and what do I do with it? And lately, God has stirred that within Jonathan again. And so he is, uh, he's light at the place that he works, and he is light here at Vertical, part of our men's breakfast and part of our lift group and part of the church's ministry and has a calling to make a difference for Christ. Um, I'm going to connect the story here with Jonathan just a little bit. But Jonathan, I have heard your story and agree that God has called you as well. And I present to you this certificate of ministry to fulfill all that God has called you to be. Amen. Amen. So let me have uh, Eli come up. Eli Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Come on up on stage here, Eli. You're good. You recognize this young man as well, part of our worship team. We get to see him often on Sunday mornings. And I know uh, right away, if I were to ask you during the week, have you met Eli? You'd say, who? Uh, the young guy on stage that has all the energy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Uh, this is Eli. And Eli has lived in the Ovilla community for a long time. In fact, his brother was part of our student ministry years ago. So we got to see even Eli in our home some when he was very young and uh, saw God at work in him then. And in recent years, he has believed God was calling him into a missions direction. Yeah. 
And so he has spent time at Youth with a Mission Training Center, and he has spent time traveling across the globe, ministering Christ to others. He's convinced God has called him into ministry, full-time ministry. And he's found him a lovely girl as well. They'll be, they'll be married soon. She has the same heart for ministry. And so, Eli, we support, confirm the call of God into your life as well and present to you this certificate of license in the ministry. So, connecting story here. Um, so, John, some time back, and I talked, John and I talked, and he said, Hey, I'm, I believe God's called me to help minister and mentor some other men. You got anybody that you think could benefit from my time with them? I said, I got just the guy, Eli. And so, they're just about as opposite in personality as you could imagine. <laughs> I thought, that's beautiful. So they got together, and God has worked in both of their lives that process. So recently, when Eli got engaged, Eli said, I need someone who performed the wedding for me. Eli said, John, would you do that for me? So connecting story. Yeah. So John will get to do a lot of things in ministry, but one of his first official capacities will be to, mar uh, to marry him, uh, John. Wow. <laughs> Eli and Beth. Yeah. Excited about that. All right. Let me also ask Christopher and Vani to come to the stage. Yeah. <clears throat> you know Christopher as a guy that prays like this sometimes for the offering. <clears throat> He's got the voice. And uh, if you were here a couple of years back during our Storm Chaser series, you'll remember the interview of Christopher. Christopher was born in Iran, grew up in a Muslim home, wanted to come to America, found a way. You should go on YouTube and find the story and watch it, Vertical Church YouTube channel, listen to his story. Because God orchestrated a very unusual set of events that provided him to be here in America and for him to come to Christ, to learn the English language, and for God to speak into his life and say, now, what I'm going to do in you is use you to reach people from Iran who are in need of finding freedom from their lies. Yeah. Crazy stories. He was just repeating one of them last night. That coming here to America, he ends up in Wisconsin for a while. Him and his wife, who is also Beth. Not the same Beth, just a different Beth. Yeah, don't get weird on me here. They end up in Wisconsin. And there they go to a Bible study. And there is a couple they are introduced to from Iran who is needing help. And they begin to minister to them. And soon they're leading a Bible study in Wisconsin, mind you, of families from Iran who want to know more about who Jesus is. So Christopher also, like John, pursued ministry training for a while, went to school, and began to think, I don't know, what, I don't know, I've got to 
got this path in my life. I've pursued it and working and being successful. But he also said just during this last year, God has stirred within him the same calling again. And he is responding to this today, much like we might respond to a, a baptism to say, God, I'm full in. I'm here for what you have called me to do. So, Christopher, based on your testimony and what you have expressed, we present to you this license to ministry. Thank you, sir. All right. Our last one today is my son, Truett Treadaway. Mm. So, as a dad and Heather as a mom, we have prayed for each of our children that they would walk in the ways that God had for them, not knowing what that would be. And each of them God has used and is using and has called. Truett, just this past, really, year, year and a half or so, um, has said, I believe God's called me into ministry. He is... Um, of our five, the most shy and reserved. He's the one that you would have never found up front anywhere. But in his latter years of high school, some of that began to change. He found himself as quarterback of the football team and found himself as a mentor and leader. And God began to stir something in him. He graduated from high school clueless as to what would be next. I mean, it was one of those semesters where Heather and I were like, God, come on, something, just something, anything, something. We had lots of conversations, didn't know what it was going to be. I talked to him about, you thought about, uh, it's a Christian college in Fort Worth, it's part of the seminary over there, I mean, that'd be something, I'm trying to be real light and loose on this thing, not pressing, talk about a few things, Heather and I suggest some things, Nothing. It was about that time that God arranged for Matt Gray to come to Vertical. Matt comes. They're almost same age. Truett has a conversation one night with Matt at Taco Bell. They're out till 2-something in the morning. Truett comes home, wakes Heather up. It's hard to wake me up at 2 a.m. I was actually already awake. Yeah, she was already awake, eating a bowl of cereal and watching Little House on the Prairie or something. I don't know. <clears throat> That's Heather's middle-of-the-night routine. And they set up for the next hour and a half, Truett telling her what God had done in his heart. All of a sudden, he said, I think this is what God wants me to do. The next morning, I'm getting up to come to the men's breakfast. I get up early. That's part of why I don't get up at 2 a.m. I'm up early, and I'm not sure Truett had ever seen 5 a.m. before. But that morning, he was up, and he was telling me, what God had done in his heart. And so we have spent the last year and a half talking through that. He is enrolled at the same school that Matt goes to. And they take classes at the Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. They have a college there called Scarborough College. And they're training up young men and women to serve the Lord. And so, true it, I'm excited to present to you today this license of ministry confirming what God has done in you. Mm. Yeah. So, gentlemen, 
What an honor and privilege to be called into ministry, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to have within us the very same ghost that filled Jesus himself. And when Jesus began his ministry, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the ghost, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That same ghost that called him Barnabas, Paul, Peter, and others has now called you. I welcome you into the ministry. We stand behind you to support you. I encourage you to walk into all that God has called you to do and to be. Now, I'd like to ask their families to come stand with them. We're going to pray. So families, if you'd like to come stand with your person, please do. This is your time. Y'all come on up. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Make your way. Yeah, go on stage with them. Get on up there. Stand with them. It could be that today... While you're watching all this and listening, it could be that there's something stirring in you. It could be that God's calling you. It could be that a ministry future is for you. And you said, Psh, I've never thought of that. I understand. You may have thought, I don't know if I can do that. I understand. It's not about you. It's about the calling. And if he calls you, the thing to do is to say yes. So... I'll just say it now. If that is you, if you sense a calling, you want to talk about it, come see me afterwards. I'd love to help walk you through the process and figure out if that really is what God is calling you to. The second thing I'd like to do is ask our elders, the elders of a vertical church, to come at this time and put their hand upon these men as a way of representing the church's blessing, confirmation upon their lives. Gentlemen, who are called into ministry, I'd like to ask you to kneel where you are. These men might pray for you. What an exciting day, huh, church? Yeah. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are humbled and grateful today that you have placed your spirit in these men and on these men for service. You've called them, anointed them, and are directing their lives. I pray that what has begun in them as a spark would be fanned into a flame, a flame that would not cease but grow in intensity and in passion, that you'd send them out to the places you have called them to, that their words would be sure, their spirit strong, that they would be a light unto the nations today, that they would be those who represent our Lord Jesus, that they would be filled with the ghost power and passion, that they would be leaders who forever change our culture because of the stance that they take, the compassion that they have, and the grace that has been shown to them. Bless them today, Father. Bless their families. Bless, bless these wives, fiancés, families that surround them, 
may they be an encouragement and support to them in the days where they need it, in the days of darkness, in the days of struggle. May your spirit be strong in them to guide and direct them. Father, we are grateful today, and we confirm as a church what has been brought into the hearts of these men, and we pray it a blessing upon them in the strong, powerful name above all names, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen, amen. Thank you, gentlemen and families. Amen. Wow, what a powerful message this morning as we learned that the ghost that's inside of us is bigger than we are. He has dreams bigger than we are and is up to exciting things in our church family. Thank you for joining us this morning. We'll catch you back here next week at 1030. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and we'll see you then. Thank you.